In 2008, uh, Newsweek magazine did a uh, story about a tightrope walker named uh, Felipe Petit. It described Petit's secret plan in 1974 to stretch a line across the then existing uh, world uh, twin towers and walk across in between. They were just being built in those days, but it was already, they were already up and they were standing. And he uh, snuck up there with his compadres and shot a line across the two towers and did a tightrope walk across. Down below, there were thousands of people gathered uh, as they, everyone was looking up to watch this guy walk between the two towers. Uh, and of course, just like uh, last month in uh, San Francisco, there were police waiting for him. Uh, if you saw the news of the guy climbing the skyscraper in uh, San Francisco. So he was arrested when he got to the other end, but he did make it across. And uh, later, a newspaper reporter was asking him about a net and about being afraid of falling and uh, you know, what he would have done if he fell. And, and he, said, uh, he said, I never fall. But yes, I have landed on earth many times. And that intrigued me. I never fall, but I've landed on earth many times. I like that. Because to fall means you've failed. But to land on earth, it, it sort of signifies the fact that you can get up again. You can, you can start again. You can go again. So what do you do when you've landed on earth, so to speak? What do you do to get back up again when you come into trouble? What do you do to recover when difficult times come? Well, if you have your Bibles, grab them, turn to Genesis chapter 26. That was our reading today in the Old Testament. We're going to find Isaac found himself in a bit of trouble. In verse 1, there's famine in the land. So Isaac heads off looking for food. There's famine in the land. We have to go. We have to move. We have to, to go find uh, other nourishment. And he comes and ends up in Gerar. Actually, Isaac did exactly what his father did in the time of famine. Abraham, he, Abraham had done it 80, 90 years ago. During a time of drought and famine, he goes on his way. He's, he's headed to Egypt. He's looking for better pastures, but God meets him on the way. Uh, verse 2 and following, the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land in which I will show you. Then God reiterates the promise that he gave to Abraham. He tells Isaac that the covenant is coming through you. He tells Isaac, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your family. I'm going to take care of your clan because... The whole nation, my whole promise to Abraham depends on you. So I've got you. I'm taking care of you. Settle in Gerar. Don't go to Egypt. And he gives him the same promise that he had made to his father Abraham on Mount Moriah, the place where Isaac was nearly sacrificed to the Lord. And it was a promise of land. It was a promise of descendants and blessing. Even in this place of famine and trouble and sacrifice. And the question the question is, would Isaac believe God like his father did in spite of the circumstances? And Isaac did, uh, did believe, verse 6. He did believe God. And that's why he did exactly what God told him to do. He stayed in Gerar. Isaac trusted in the Lord in his time of trouble. And that's what we need to do in our times of trouble. There's a lot of things that we can learn from this chapter. I got three things here that I thought of I want us to take home. Uh, first thing, I've already said it many times, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in, in God uh, like Isaac. Rely on God's promises. Depend on God's word. Depend on God's direction. Depend on God's vision for you. 
enough that you do exactly what he tells you to. Even in storm, even in troubles, even in trials, believe that God has got you. He, he has got you covered. He's seeing you through. He is by your side. Believe him enough to do what he said. Uh, Pastor Dave Stone talks about a time when he was in the swimming pool with his family. He was swimming around the deep end, 12 foot of water, just swimming around, messing around. And his four-year-old daughter, Savannah, uh, with her little floaties on, got in, you know, in the kitty area where it's just, you know, you know how pools are. They start out a few feet deep and they keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. But, but she's down there. I love to see my grandkids, you know, with those floaties on their arms and they're just kicking around and kicking around and, you know, having a great time. She yells to her daddy and says, I want to come where you are. And he said, Savannah, the, the, uh, the water's a lot deeper here. She said, I don't care. I want to come where you are. And he knows she's got the floaties on. She's not going uh, anywhere, anywhere down anyways. And he said, well, come on. And she started to kick her, kick her little feet and kind of dog paddle over there, uh, uh, four feet of water, six feet of water, eight feet of water, finally 12 feet of water. She's got this panic look on her face, but she gets into her daddy's arms and the panic goes away. Uh, the fear goes away. She, the depth of the water no longer had uh, any bearing on her thoughts because she was secure in her daddy's arm. She felt secure. It made very little difference. And you know what? Next to our heavenly father, uh, in his arms, we are secure. We're secure in his arms. No matter what the uh, horizon looks like, no matter what darkness is in our life, we're secure in our father's arms. No matter what our dangerous circumstances are, cling to him. Trust in the Lord. Trust in your heavenly father. Trust in the Lord, and secondly, stand strong in adversity. And trusting in Him, they go, in, they go hand in hand, right? Trusting in Him gives us the strength to stand strong in adversity. It gives us the stamina to stand strong in adversity. It gives us the hope to stand strong in adversity. So when we trust in the Lord, we're able to stand strong in adversity. On Christmas Day, 1939, when the whole world stood on the brink of war, King George VI of England addressed the British Commonwealth Hitler was on the move. Doom and gloom was in the air. Even so, as part of his speech, King George quoted these words from Minnie Louise Haskins. I said to the man at the gate of the year, give me a light that I might walk safely into the unknown. And he said to me, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. It shall be to you safer than the light and better than the known way. Give me a light that I might walk safely into the unknown. And he said to me, go out into the darkness. Put your hand into the hand of God. It shall be to you safer than the light and better than the known way. God's got us. God's got us covered. Listen, these are scary and uncertain times. It's, it's crazy to be alive in, in America right now. People are, 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 are upset, they're, they're scared uh, with, uh, with the political climate and the economic climate and the, the, the climate of war over the horizon. Uh, people are, are just scared. It's uncertain times. But God has not abdicated his throne. God has not stepped down. God's got us covered. He knows what's best. So put your hand in the hand of God and find your rest in him. Trust in the Lord as you walk into an uncertain future. And by faith, 
Just do what he leads you to do. Do what he tells you to do. It didn't make sense for Isaac to stay in Gerar in this land of famine during a time of drought. The fertile valley of the Nile laid, laid right in front of him. But God told him to stay. God told him to settle. He stayed there because God told him to. He trusted enough to do what God said, and God provided for him. Please don't miss out on God's blessing in your life and his comfort in your life because you insist on doing things your own way without his direction, without his guidance. In times of trouble especially, depend on God enough to do it his way, even when it doesn't make sense. Do it his way. Believe God enough to do what he says. When difficult times come, trust in the Lord like Isaac did. But unlike Isaac, don't trust in a lie. Don't trust in a lie. Don't rely on your own manipulative schemes. Don't depend on deceit and dishonesty to get by. You see, even though Isaac trusted God enough to stay in Gerar, he didn't trust him enough to, to keep him safe there. He found himself in the middle of Philistine territory. He found himself living in fear. So he lied to protect to himself. Verse 7. Rebecca was a beautiful woman, just like Isaac's mother. So he told them she was his sister. Sound familiar? Thinking, and I quote, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. He told the same lie his father did years ago. In fact, we know from our study of Genesis that Isaac told that lie twice. Uh, once he went, when he was in Egypt in Genesis 12, and the second time, the same very city, the same very king in chapter 20. Fathers, be careful what you do because your children will do what you do more than they do what you say. We know that, right? Then why don't we live that? Why don't we, in, instead of just directing our children on how to go, why don't we live our lives as example for them to go? Watch what you do <coughs> because your children will do it. Isaac was afraid, so he lies to protect himself. A lesson he learned from his father. His father had done it, so he did it. Verse 8, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out of the window, and he saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Abimelech gets this epiphany. That's not his sister. That's his wife. How does he get that from them laughing? Well, it's an interesting word in the Hebrew language. It's a wordplay in Isaac's name, of course. Isaac's name means laughter. And in this context, the, the, the word describes the fun that he was having, Rebecca. And let's just say this married couple was acting in a way that Abimelech goes, that's not his sister. That's not his sister. That's his wife. So here in a sense, Isaac is mocking God. God had promised him land and seed and blessing, but Isaac's lie makes a mockery of that promise. It's as if that promise was worthless in Isaac's mind because Isaac resorts to deceit to protect himself rather than trusting God. If God promises Isaac that he's going to make a nation out of himself, you think he's going to, he's going to give him problems in Gerar? You think he's not got him uh, taken care of in Gerar? But Isaac's only fooling himself because Abimelech, the king, sees right through it. Verse 9 through 11, he, he calls Isaac and he points out the position that he's been put in. Isaac, I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe you lied about it. And he warns the people never to touch Rebekah, never to touch Isaac's wife. 
Listen, be sure your sin, your lies will find you out every time. Numbers 32, 23. It'll find you out every time. It may not be now. It may not be in the uh, near future. But sometimes, sometime you're going to be found out. And in the, in the story, Abimelech acts with more integrity than Isaac did. And his lie puts him in a bad light. Jerry Carney is an antique dealer who always looks out for these valuable antiques. Nellie and I like, love to go looking at antiques, but I just like to look at them. I have no idea what they're worth, what their value are. I usually don't think they're worth what the price tag is. We like looking at them, but this guy, he knew them. He knew them up, up and down, and he always buys them cheap and sells them high. And one time, uh, Jerry drove to a small town in Kentucky, and he goes into this small antique store, you know, off the beaten path. There's all kinds of junk sitting outside. And he, he uh, walks through the store, and he sees this strange-looking bowl near the cat food, full of water. And he looks at it closer, and it turns out to be an antique Chinese carved coconut bowl from the 18th century. The guy is using it as a water dish for his cat. Jerry knows that it's worth more than everything in this store put together and even the building the store sits in. So he thinks, how can I get this bowl? It would be odd for me to try to buy the cat's water bowl. And he comes up with a plan. And he picks up the cat and he starts to love on it and the cat's purring and he's, you know, it's a nice cat. And he goes up to the owner and he says, you know, this is such a nice cat. I'll give you $100 for this cat. Guy goes, really? $100 for the cat? He said, yeah, I'll give you $100. And he said, well, it's a nice cat. You know, it keeps me company, but I'll take $100 for it. And he hands the guy a $100 bill. And he says, oh, and by the way, I don't have anything to give water for the cat. I'll give you $10 for that water bowl. The guy says, no way. That's an ancient Chinese antique water bowl. There's no way I would sell you that for any amount of money. He goes, oh. He goes, but the odd thing is, ever since I started using that as the cat's water bowl, I've sold 17 cats. <laughs> Listen, don't do it. When you find yourself in trouble, don't trust a lie like Isaac did. Don't lie to protect yourself because it's unnecessary when you have the promises of God. Don't trust in the lies of this culture. Wow. If Facebook is anything, it is an eye-opener to the lies of this culture and what people believe in what the culture is trying to sell them. Don't believe in the lies. Any, <coughs> don't use a lie to protect yourself and don't believe in the lie of the culture. Luke 8, 17 says, for nothing is hidden that will, will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. You may not fear death like Isaac did, but so many people fear rejection or ridicule, or simply negative opinions of others. So they lie to protect themselves from those negative opinions. They try to cover up their mistakes, or they make commitments they cannot keep because they don't want people to think they're not committed. And then, when they don't get it done, they make excuses all in an effort to make themselves seem less culpable than they really are. Really, at the root of it, lies make a mockery of God. Because he has promised to take care of us no matter what. Whatever adversity, whatever problems, whatever peril, 
God has promised to take care of us. So don't resort to lies to protect yourself. Your lies will always do more harm than good because they make a mockery of God who promises us an eternal security in Christ. Christ has set us free. Christ has, has uh, his sacrifice has, has forgiven us. His life is lived in us and through us. For you see, God's commitment to you is more important, more important than your commitment to him. Believers often waver in their commitments, don't we? We waver in our devotion. We waver in our prayer life. We, we waver in, <clears throat> in our, um, our reliance on God. But God never wavers on his commitments to you. God will keep his promises to you no matter what. No matter what. And you can count on his resolve even when your own resolve has shriveled up to almost nothing in the midst of struggle. God's resolve is strong. The rest of the chapter shows us that Isaac comes into conflict with the locals. He loses some wells that he dug, but he worships the Lord. He pitches in sin. He digs another well. Only this last well that he digs is a well of promise because up to then he'd been digging wells in opposition, right? With names like contention and enmity. But his last well he digs, it's a well that will remind him of God's promise. Every time he drinks from that well or passes by it, Isaac will remember that God has, what God has said to Isaac. He will remember God's commitment to him. He will remember his promises to him. Listen, when opposition comes, stand on God. Stand on his commitment to you. Stand on his promises to you. Stand on his love for you. Do what Isaac did. Worship the Lord. Pitch a tent. Dig a well of promise. Stand firm. Trust in God. In other words, just stop and remember God's commitment. And don't ever give up on his commitment to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you constantly do for us, the love that you constantly show us, Father, the love that you constantly um, uh, just infill us with. Father, we thank you for the promise that you continually give us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a promise keeper all through Scripture. You've never let up. You've never wavered. You love your people, and you guide us. You fulfill what you have given. Ultimately, Lord, you fulfilled that promise in a Messiah who has come to redeem us, who has come to show love to us, who has uh, come to uh, give us grace, and most, and most of all, the redemption and eternal life in you. We pray these things, Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.